Hello everyone, welcome to Birdcast, the only podcast recorded inside a live Avery. Now many of us know of the old English common law saying, your home is your castle. But for our guest today, his home is actually also a cockatoo nursery. It's an amazing story and we hope you enjoy listening to Larry Alright, thank you Larry for coming to Birdcast. I appreciate you coming in to talk some time with us about your special project in the southwest of Western Australia. So could you sort of start off by introducing yourself to the listeners and sort of what you're doing? Well, we're retired. We're trying to avoid work, but I'm afraid we've found something to do. Um, We were farmers and scientists. We were always interested in conservation often trying to make it uh, profitable so it would expand successes. We propagated antique apples, we put in one of the first rainforest fruit plantations, 45 species, a lot of research and writing and sustainable agriculture as well, largely contract research. So we're, uh, we're old, we're knowledgeable, we're looking for something useful to do in our retirement and look what we found. Yes. So would you like to sort of explain um, what you've sort of found and what you're what you're now doing? Well, we're fortunate to find this block of land, 100 acres, in what's called Anolakai Wilderness Conservation Zone, and it's a, a large peninsula south of Denmark that's conservation zone by council. So literally, wilderness, and much of it is quite intact on our place that is freehold. So you can own it, but it's conservation zone. You get a hectare to occupy, otherwise you can't so much as cut firewood out there. <clears throat> and it's an interesting landscape of uh, Yate and Kari forests and heathlands and Banksia, grass tree woodlands, quite a bit of variety. And just a beautiful spot, very quiet, on block, though it's miles wide to the ocean. And we get to hear the ocean waves and very peaceful and we sit around here and we start seeing these cockatoos come in every summer all summer long and they seem to particularly like this little water hole we dug for sand for the house bed and they've got trees to perch and we have no dogs and we control the foxes and cats and and so they found it just the ideal morning and afternoon watering spot and they would come and chatter and carry on and do what cockatoos do and as we watched them over a couple of years we saw that there weren't very many young and I said this isn't right uh, you know there's 80 birds and we'll see four chicks at a time it's just something wrong so we do our homework and find out the whole story there's no more hollows, there's no more nests. And uh, it's all been bulldozed down and cut down and they've, uh, they've reduced in population. They're still being shot. So the uh, idea that people were making these artificial nests to re- reproduce those natural hollows was an obvious answer. All right. So we looked at the problems, we looked at the traditional model, 
where the federal government gives money to the state, the state gives money to the NRM, the NRM gives money to the catchment committee, the catchment committee may or may not give money to the actual grassroots group, like say BirdLife Western Australia, and observed as we've seen elsewhere since the NRM model replaced land care in this country 15 or 20 years ago, that it's just bleeding off a lot of money. And people not being able to get funds to do nests and recovery actions and the, the, the people on the ground are just not seeing the money it's bled off somewhere on the way so it's, and we went to BirdLife WA and said okay how nimble are you we've got we want to put these 20 nests in we've got 80 birds turning up in a month what can you do um, nothing we don't control the funds so uh, we thought oh, this is silly as a bit of a active rebellion I suppose we decided to set it up under a private enterprise model, but non-profit, participatory, all money goes to NES. We volunteer our time, we volunteer our secure site to host them in perpetuity, and we offer them to people at the cheapest price they can buy a nest in this state. And if we get them rented out under our model, they get a 20% return on capital. You can actually get rich saving cockatoos. It's pretty cool. That's what we thought. Now we get people involved by just getting out and what media we can and telling them what we're doing, why it's better, and they can just chip in there, $250, get their nest, they own it. So we don't get into the whole charity tax deductibility game at all. It's their nest. It's permanently ensconced in the property with conservation covenants on the title. And uh, the idea is that these will not only start up people investing in single nests and groups of nests, it will allow people also with less money to contribute, like $50 for a year you can rent a nest. And that goes over time again to buy more nests or some people might want to make the money back from their nest we don't care it's made some birds um, and most importantly this this is a model that's intended to replicate because we've only got X amount of birds and X amount of feed in our area we can't put in a hundred nests for our you know 40 breeding pairs of birds if that um, so this this can't grow, it has to be dispersed, just like the population of birds and the prevalence of feed. So we've already had contact from some people down the coast near William Bay, There's three three families live adjoining, say, we, we wanna do this too, Come, we're gonna come talk to you. So yeah, it's not just our project, it's, it's a project intended to replicate with and by others. Okay. And do you have a history with birds at all? Like, anything previous to these companies? We're not animal people, we're plant people. Okay. I say we were involved in, in, uh, in exotic fruits and nuts and came to Australia in 88 with the first Chinese chestnuts imported into Australia. The way we got into the country. And we were always trying to make uh, conservation of uh, valuable fruits and nuts profitable through nurseries and plantations farm forestry as well. So we were always into conservation, but we're not particularly bird people. 
but that's what was happening here. And as we've learned over the years of fixing up some 23 properties, you, you sit and watch for a year or so, and uh, property's potential and needs will reveal itself to you. And we did that, and this was revealed. And so clearly, it's what we're to do. But we're researchers, we know how to find out what to do. And uh, there it went. Okay. You mentioned before, could you sort of explain what a uh, conservation covenant is and uh, sort of what it means to someone who's buying a nest? Well, uh, it doesn't mean much to them, but security of tenure. In our case, in the conservation zone, that's council determined. It is zoned wilderness. You cannot do anything out there. We can never cut down those trees. It doesn't necessarily guarantee the nest will be maintained over time, and they need you know, four or five years, clean out, check, um, the trees fall down, fires come through. So the only way to guarantee permanence is to place a covenant on the title, which basically says if you own this property, you are obliged to care for and maintain to the known reasonable standard these nests that are in place. So if I died, you'd run over next week, sold the place, those nests are still preserved. And that's the kind of security and tenure I would want if I'm going to live here. So I reckon the cockatoos want the same. Okay. And sort of, what was the catalyst for you and Barbara sort of setting up the the cockatoo nursery? They told us. Okay. They told us to. <laughs> that was pretty obvious. Okay. It made a lot of noise, you know. Hmm. Okay. Oh, it's just the observation that they're clearly they're they're here, they're happy, they're eating, but they're not breeding. So where's the holes? And while there is some intact uh, virgin tari near us, there's not a lot of big stuff. It's scruffy coastal peppermint heathlands. Though in the area there's there's a fair bit of other large forest areas, and I'm sure they're using that. But because there's no other very little fresh water elsewhere on the peninsula and around all these saltwater bays and ocean. They're, they're keen to, to be around a nice, clean, fresh water source. That's been the real draw to them. Okay. And do you number the nest tubes? Do we number them? Yeah. They don't need numbers. Okay. Do you need numbers? No. If you buy one, you can number it. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> We're trying to keep it simple. We have lives. We're worn out. But yes, people want photos of them. They want to know which ones are there. So we give a picture and they can hang it on their wall. It's kind of hard. We ask each sponsor what their needs are. And most of them just want to feel warm inside and, and get a picture. And very little people have wanted anything more serious or severe or legal or difficult. It's very much a almost a faith-based act, you know? They're they're trusting us. Very few, if any of the investors, have actually come here and looked. Some have called on the phone. But, I mean, they can look up things about us, Google us, and see, oh, these people have done useful things, all right, maybe they're okay. But it's, uh, it's very much uh, trust and faith-based. And we'd hope for much of it to be local, but sadly, very few of the nest buyers so far have been local. And in Perth, East Coast, even international. 
and um, very little uptake of the small donation rental approach as well, which we're casting about, asking our people, what do you think? What else can we do to, to have an entry-level participation? It could also be economically viable and allow people without even that very cheapest nest at $250 to, if they can't buy that, because lots of people want to help, but don't have the money. And do you encourage people to come down and look at the nests? Well, we like our private life, and uh, I think we're obliged to admit sponsors and investors and people participating in it. We discussed uh, the possibility of ecotourism activities and people coming in as an additional fundraising means, but it's such a brief season where they could actually come and see something besides a plastic tube and a tree. That didn't seem reasonable, and we're quite out of the way. You know, it's it's isolated, so we don't expect a lot, but I certainly feel obliged to anybody who's participating in it to come on down, take a walk around, see what's going on, tell, see us, talk to us, talk to the birds if they're here, but not a generally uh, public access because the birds don't particularly need the traffic either. Like right now, I'm staying right out of the rookery because it's investigation and acceptance time. Parrots are cruising around. They're not looking at food availability and thinking about nesting. We're quite a bit later than the rest of the state because we're so cool down here, which will be their eventual uh, refuge as climate change is moving the climate envelope for birds five meters a day in our case, to the southwest. In other words, their possible range is shrinking. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be happy down here for a, a few more decades. Who knows? Okay. And sort of, could you sort of explain and describe to the listeners sort of what the, uh, the cockatoo looks like and sort of how it generally behaves and sort of the issues it has with uh, nesting hollows? Well, I say they're at the stage now of, of looking at and so I've been avoiding the, the forest areas, let them peaceably go about choosing or not. But they'll generally uh, lay when they've got sufficient feed, access to water, and an acceptable nest. But people find them nesting in garbage cans. They're that desperate. They just need a good depth and, and enough diameter. After that, they're happy to go to it, so to speak. <laughs> but we get mixed flocks. We have both Baudins and Carnabies. And the odd red tail drifts through, we're sort of at the corner of the range of all three of them, the southeast corner of the ranges of all three species. And our fluxes are typically mixed bottom and carnaby. Okay. And sort of what's the long-term plan for the nursery? Grow birds. Okay. And to replicate itself. You don't have a successful organism unless it replicates. Mm -hmm. okay. So it's no use me doing this. I mean, we, I calculated out we need 4,000 new birds this year just to replace losses. Okay. This is not even re re coming back to, to, to past historic levels of population. So you assume a 75% fledging rate, et cetera, et cetera, reasonable assumptions. I've got 20 out. <laughs> it's just a pathetic attempt. Mm. It's really all you can realistically describe as 
But if it replicates and spreads and multiplies, it might possibly achieve some of that, or at least survival, if not return to abundance. So the future is, uh, is much more than just us, because as I say, the birds are distributed and dispersed, so is the feed, so the recovery systems and the nesting has to be the same. And sort of what do you think the biggest obstacle will be for the, the cockatoos? Well, right now they're dodging guns in the apple orchards. <laughs> no, I don't know. They're, uh, they've just got so much pressure. But they're so smart. Too smart sometimes. They've become dependent on these pine plantations. That is really uh, an over-rich fast food for them. And, well, they get fed on it. Once it's cut down, they're all of a sudden abandoned, and they don't do any sequential planting, sequential harvesting, proper rotational forestry might. So they're, uh, they're in a bit of a loss when those things happen. Well, they're, they're omnivorous, uh, wandering feasters. They'll, they'll feed a flock of 200 in a morning on a good, healthy, big mari. So they know what to do when they find food. And they range widely and and have highly diverse food sources as far as I can tell. And there's easily found documents available on what they eat and what you can plant for them to eat. Not, the, the government department does put that out and that's a value. Okay. So they're, they're, they'll take what's there and find something. And if not, they'll move until they find enough secure feed the nest and we're hopeful that there's enough diversity around here and it seems to be with all the national parks and forestry and public land here on the south coast they certainly didn't seem starved as we watched them the last few years come back fat and sassy every night and carry on and have their drink and go back up disperse into the forest and go on with this strange murmuring behavior. I can't find anybody who's heard it. It's very atonal but synchronous. They go on for minutes. This droning murmuring is all I can call it. And I've got to get them on tape or record this because it's a very odd behavior. And then they, in our case they would disperse off to other nighttime roosts. For some reason they didn't like to overnight here at the waterhole. But I'm, I'm bewitched by this murmuring behavior. It's pretty interesting. I didn't know that they did that. Can't find anybody else that does either, so <laughs> i got to record it. Definitely. So it's the, interesting. Every day you learn something. Yeah, definitely. And so could if you tell the listeners how they could sort of contribute and be involved with the Cockatoo Nursery? Send money. Okay. Send lots of money. How would they go about doing that? I'll put it on our site. There's PayPal, PID. There's there's the name you use. It's an arm's length distance from bank accounts, as you do in long distance uh, dealings like this. Mm-hmm. Nobody's handing out bank account numbers, but it's a common, simple practice. We have a little market stall for called useful tools for our amusement, okay. mostly mine, and occasionally we'll do long distance uh, deals and. PID is a system between banks. It just works off email, and we publish that. 
And usually people want to have a talk to us, saying, are you people real? Is this really happening? Where did my money go? <laughs> and it's fine. Come and have a look. Talk to you. It's all real. It's all true. We don't, we're not, there's no scam going on here. We're millionaires. We don't need the money. <laughs> so, yeah, send money. We got people with land that want to put up nest boxes, and we got people that make good nests and put them up well. So it costs money. But often somebody's got to front up the first chunk, like we did, in faith and hope. And uh, in our case, it panned out. Others might take longer to be successful, but at this point we sold one half the nest in less than a month. Okay. So that can't be that hard. Look, <laughs> what else can I do? <laughs> this all our life, put up physical or physical models or books, and here it is. Do it. Sometimes people do, sometimes they don't. And sort of what would be the best way about contacting you to send through the uh, the payment? As I said, there's a, on our Nellicott Cockatoo Nursery Facebook group page is PayID and PayPal uh, email and names to use. But I say most people contact us first and have a little talk and, and go on a bit. But yeah, you publish it there. We put our phone number in for a few weeks and nobody used it, so we took it out. Okay. Uh, some people prefer to communicate through email. Some foundations have wanted to approach us that way. Fine. We're flexible. We don't care. We'll do anything. It's a nest paid for and up here and at the next place. Well, thank you very much, Larry, for coming on BirdCast, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and provide us with some very useful information about the uh, the cockatoo nursery. Well, I hope it uh, inspires others to participate or just go and do it on their own. Cool. I hope you enjoyed today's very engaging episode about the cockatoo nursery at Larry and Barbara's place. This Facebook page link is in the show notes below. If you all are interested in renting or owning a cockatoo nest for 2021's breeding season, there is still time, but the birds do go to the nest soon. Now, our next episode is also a very exciting one. We will be chatting with a Queensland-based scientist. A very particular small parrot, the golden shoulder parrot, will be sure to listen in again. Alright everyone, make sure to listen in again next four times. Remember, we also have an Instagram, Birdman underscore dad, and a YouTube channel, Birdman Dad. Alright everyone, well I hope you enjoyed today's very engaging and interesting episode, and I will see you again next fortnight. Bye now!